Good evening, folks. Good evening. Um, so I want to, so first off, I want to talk about salvation, what salvation actually is. And um, salvation occurs in three parts. So first, there's the um, uh, justification part of salvation. And that's being saved from the punishment of sin. Then there's the sanctification part of salvation. So the justification part of salvation is transactional. So anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is transactional. You're saved from the punishment of sin. Then the second part is sanctification, where you are saved from the power of sin. That is relational. That is progressive. You know, the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. That was transactional. The guy didn't need to do anything. The sanctification part you do, it's spending time with the Lord. It's the power of God that enables you to heal from all of the things of the world, all of the experiences that you've had in this world. And don't forget that this world is actually set up for bad experiences. Job said that man is born into troubles, surely as the sparks fly up. Bad things are going to happen in this world. I remember my, my son said, said to me one time years ago, wow, Dad, no, it seems it's so easy to think negatively and so difficult to think positively. And they explain that. Yeah, it's the world, right? So we have to heal from our experiences in the world. That's the sanctification part, right? We are healing from the pain, the hurts, also the, the, the desires and the habits that we have picked up. Many people have picked up habits because of hurt. And I'm not just talking about addictions and things like that, but there are people that have habitual anger because of hurt. There are people that have habitual resentment because of hurt. There are people that have habitual jealousy because of hurt. Pride, you know, sadness, sorrow because of hurt. You know, I mean, I'm not being exhaustive here. I'm being representative. So there's a lot more hurts than that. But, but so you got that sanctification part. And then you've got the glorification part, and that's saved from the very presence of sin. And why, why salvation? Why this salvific plan, which is the plan of salvation? Well, for the simple reason being is that Adam and Eve lost all of creation. We have to also remember is that even though Satan lied to them, I mean, it, they, were, they were legally divested of all 
uh, creation. Um, Satan said to Jesus in the wilderness that um, if you bow down, I will give you all of these kingdoms of the world. I'll give you all of this. Well, he wasn't lying to Jesus. It was Satan's to give. In fact, Jesus even called him the God of this world. Paul calls him the prince of the power of this age. So salvation then really is Jesus Christ was manifested, 1 John 3, verse 8, to destroy the work of the devil. So all of creation, including mankind, are really on a trajectory that leads them away from God. And so salvation really is the plan of God to get his creation back on a trajectory to lead them to God. And here's the great thing is that through like what I am doing now and other people in ministry, this is how God gets his creation back. This is how it's done. Je Jesus said, the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Right? So the salvation plan of God is to redeem that that was lost at the fall of mankind. So what does that mean? That means then that God has bent over backwards to ensure that nobody spends eternity separated from him, right? God has been over backwards for that to happen. And in this salvation plan, um, when someone comes to know God in terms of giving their life to him, that is something that cannot be undone. That's what we, when we talk about eternal security, right? And so I am going to go into uh, uh, Hebrews, but before I do that, um, I want you guys to see, go to John chapter 10. So if you look at John chapter 10, and um, um, so let's start with verse um, 25. Jesus answered them and told you, uh, and I told you, and you do not believe the works I do in my father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. Listen, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all 
and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So that is um, pretty infallible, right? Um, in terms of when someone uh, comes to the Lord, they are clearly protected. And it wouldn't make any sense if you think about it. When he says in verse 28, and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. Right? They will never perish. That is definitive. Right? That they will never perish. It could never ever be eternal life unless that thing was permanent. You wouldn't be able to undo this. You can't undo this. So eternal life, nobody could ever say, ever call it eternal life if it wasn't eternal. Meaning something is not eternal if it only lasts for a period of time. What Jesus is essentially saying, what he's doing is he's, a pro he's promising you or, or everybody who is saved that walk into eternity. So it's not like saying, well, you, you had eternal life, but if you hadn't done this, this is not conditional. It's unconditional. It's unconditional. It doesn't depend on what you do. It depends on what he has done and what God has done. So it's ridiculous to look at that you could undo eternal life by something temporary air that Jesus came to fix, which is the sin. Uh, so it would, here's what it would mean. It would mean you're saved by grace, but you're kept by works. That's silly, right? That is silly. You're saved by grace and you're kept by grace. Really? Because if you could keep yourself, really, you're kind of your own savior. Really think about it. It doesn't make sense. Meaning that God has got to be the only one that presides over the process or he's not. Because it would mean if it's you and him, he's savior. And you're also a little bit savior. Does that make sense? I want, I want some questions. So this is interactive. It's not like the other stuff I do. I want some questions, please. This is what this is about. This is interactive. Questions? Anyone? Yes. Who is Dick in Ireland? Yes, Dick. Unmute. Struggle, pastor, struggle. Sandra knew I'd be the first one putting my hand up, so she did, because this is this is where I struggle with this, okay? Um, I understand, saved by grace through faith, to do good works. Romans 2, um, reading from 5, but in, in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath 
Now, my first question would be, what day is that? Is that judgment day? Is the day of wrath judgment day? And then it reads on, and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will never render, sorry, who will render to each one according to his deeds, eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality. Now, again, the question there clearly says eternal life to those who by patience, continuance in doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality. So that confuses me, Robert. So I would have to take a look at that in, in the Greek, in the original language, what he is talking about. But essentially, here in Romans, Paul is going down this road of laying out the gospel. So I'm so here, is he speaking to Christians or or is he talking about non-Christian? I would have to take a look at it in a wider context, but I think that you've taken a piece here out, Dick, and you're making it into something that it is not i mean clearly <laughs> clearly no see here's the thing here is the thing look at this how would anybody know you're sinning all the time how would anybody know when they are lost? so what you're saying is you could be saved and then lost without knowing it i don't think he's speaking about christians and for the simple reason being is that once you are saved, you actually don't practice sin. There's a big difference between practicing sin and committing sin. When you are saved, you don't practice sin. So that's why I say I have to take a look at it. And then, really, if you look at this too, if when Peter said, how many times do I forgive my brother? up to seven and Jesus said up to 70 times seven 490 of course we we know he's talking about infinity it would mean then that God is telling us to always be forgiven yet God has limitations on his forgiveness that doesn't even make any sense that makes no sense so I think so is the thing Vic is one thing that it's easy to do it's easy to have a pre-existing belief look at a scripture and totally blow it out of context because it's actually saying really if that were the case in romans where it says romans 5 verse 20 where sin abounds grace much more abounds we would have to change that then and say that where grace where sin abounds well you know grace doesn't abound more than sin uh, and 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 God's God's mercy doesn't abound that much. That doesn't make any sense. See, what I'm saying is, is if we were to take what you just said, we would have to change so many different places in the Bible. So many different places. Okay, go to, and I am going to take a look at that, and I will, I will get back to you. I I I promise. But. All I know is that so many other places 
in scripture. And somebody else had a question. I will get to you, but this is important. I do this. Um, so Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you were formerly worked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of life, even as rest. But God being rich in mercy, being rich in mercy, so we have to say that not that rich, though, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transit, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly place in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness work in, as in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and not of yourself. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. So it wouldn't be a gift of God if you could also save yourself. So, Nikki, you had a, a question real quick, please. Um, yeah, thank you, Pastor. Um, it, I'm getting that it's a relationship between me and Jesus, like my God. So that does not then give me permission just to carry on regardless, does it? I suppose I'm asking that question. I need to so tell thing, is, is, is the thing that I'm going to say to you is that if you are saved, you will genuinely save. You will not want to carry on with that. Yeah. Scripture says in Second Peter's, in Second Peter, that we are a partaker of the divine nature. I know when I gave my life to Christ, did I? sin and do i say absolutely but i do not want to practice it that is the difference and i'm also gonna say this too is that once you are saved i also not i cannot enjoy sin the way <laughs> i used to once you have the truth in you you can't enjoy it there's a change that <laughs> is the part it's got nothing. Understand another thing too. Whether someone is not saved, whether someone goes to hell or not, has got nothing to do with what they do. It's all about who they have trusted. Who they have trusted. It's in Jesus. Really. It is in Jesus. There are some people who are mild, gracious, haven't really done much wrong. I have a few beers. People, I remember sitting down to this one elder in this church. It was telling me he'd never ever been drunk. I have a few beers here and there. Blah, blah, blah. Hey, he doesn't seem like an, uh, uh, a nice guy. Oh, wow. Maybe this guy doesn't need Jesus. Joking. Everybody does. But the point being, it's got nothing to do with how little or how much Hitler came to. Uh, gave his life to Christ, he would be saved. I know a lot of people wouldn't like that. Yes, he would be saved. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. So it's got nothing to do with what you do. It's all to do with what you have, who you have trusted. But if you've given your life to Christ, you won't want to revel yeah. in sin. You won't want to. 
This is what we have to understand. And I got to say this, if somebody is living like they can lose their salvation, they're really not living. So really, they know okay. you cannot lose it. Because with that scripture, I am going to look at our Romans too, but say there are so many instances we would have to change if you could lose your salvation. It means then what I just read in John, it means then that Jesus really doesn't give you eternal life. And really, when he says that no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand, that is a lie. And it also means then that when Paul says nothing can separate us from the love of God, it means that something can. And in fact, in it, it even says not anything present or things to come, including yourself. That would be a lie. We would have to change that. We would have to change you're saved by grace. No, you're not saved by grace. You're saved by a little bit of grace and a little bit of yourself. It's a bit of a cocktail. Now, I mean, it makes no sense. And is the thing that I'm going to say, Dick, and you're wonderful, wonderful, wonderful guy. And I want to see you get set free. Is the also the other thing is when would you ever know that you were saved? You know, and, and that uncertainty will cause anxiety. So I could take it into other scriptures, not even about salvation. So when God says, be anxious for nothing, I could say, no, God, I'm going to be anxious because I don't know if I'm saved. And I don't know if I'm going to spend the turn. We could just keep going that way. Does that make sense? Dick, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Pastor. Look, as I said, I don't want to hog this just on the one incident. Um, I have a book sitting in front of me, and it's called "Once Saved, Always Saved?" Question mark. And it's written by David Pawson. I think you would know David Pawson. He's a, an old time preacher, and and this is his thing. And he says in his book, and he says when he preached, he said, "You only will know this when you get to heaven." That's, That's when you know you have been saved. Uh, I'm only, pa Pastor, I'm only reading, I'm only re repeating what mm. he preaches. And and the, the scripture again that, that I go to, uh, Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have mm. we not prophesied in your name? So, you know, that yeah, No, me, no, I want you to read that though. What he says, depart from me, you works of iniquity. I never knew you. So it's yes. not like I knew you and now I don't. I never knew you. So meaning that they were never, ever saved. They were never, ever saved. Listen, there are people. I believe, I'm going to tell you this right now. This is why I speak about this politics nonsense that goes on in America because those people who are jumping up and down about this moron who people know I don't like because he's leading so many people astray. I don't believe that most of those people are saved, even though they're jumping up and down. Yeah. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. No, they are not saved. So there's going to be a lot of people. There are a lot of people that, who are sat in church who are not saved. You know what they've trusted in? Their church attendance. It's yeah. people like that. But understand, the most powerful part 
of what Jesus says is, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. So we said, I knew you, yeah, and then you were bad, and yeah, and I don't know you anymore. I never knew you. This is, see, I'm going to say this. I don't know this part, this, this uh, um, man you are talking about, but to say you can only know when you get to heaven, that means that you would never have the confidence until you get to heaven. I don't need confidence when I'm in front of God. I do not need confidence. I do not need faith. I do not need hope. God gives me all of that. I need it now. In fact, John says, I'm writing to you so that you may know. Is when you get eternal life, when you believe, not when you get to heaven. When you believe. In fact, I got to say this now. If I am only going to know that I have eternal life when I get to heaven, is what I have to be consumed with. Not the work of God, but making sure that I get to heaven. Really, making sure. So I cannot, I can't be doing this right now. Because listen, I got to get off, folks. Because, hey, I got to work on, I got to work on my own salvation. No, no. Folks, no, we're closed for counseling from now on because you know what? Robert's closed because he's working on his own salvation. And that would be just, that, that, that would really be justified by the fact that I do not know. This is the confidence that we have in him, that we ask anything according to his will. If I am to have confidence to come boldly to the throne of grace, I have got to know that I am saved. It's a wonderful thing to have that confidence, to know that you cannot lose your salvation because God's finishing work was complete. Anybody else? Thanks, Nick. But I will look thank at that. You, Pastor, thank you, Pastor. No, thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Anybody else? Yeah, Solero. Um, good afternoon. Thank you so much for the word. Um, I was thinking after hearing the truth that I really wasn't saved because I really didn't believe totally in God. I believed in people who could do stuff for me. And I also didn't give my full trust to God, even though I was in the church. So I'm looking at myself now, like I need to change, change to the better. Cause there's a scripture. I don't, I don't have it memorized and, and I m maybe have misconstrued it um, to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. Mm. And I and I understood that as continuing to study God's word and to seek him and not to ever get complacent with working it out. And I and and I also thought and which is I now know is an error that um, if I did good works to people, you know, did kind acts, mm. give. Yeah. And so. Um, I had all that misconstrued because I watched 
my family do good things. We would go to orphanages. Mm -hmm. We would help the widow. And, and that is just good works. That doesn't mean I'm going to get into the kingdom of God because I do nice things, quote unquote, nice things and good works as unto him in that context. Mm. And I'm, and so that's where I needed some clarification because there's a lot of stuff going on in my head and I passed. Right. So, so no, that is true. You don't get, you do not get into the kingdom by good works, but you do get into the kingdom to work. To do, to do work, but you don't get in by works. And that in Philipp, by the way, it's Philippians chapter two, that work out our own salvation, as I said. But the justification part of salvation is transactional. Swiping your credit card, call upon the name of the Lord. What you have to work out is the second part, the sanctification, the being in the spending your devotional time praying. That's the part, your sanctification. You now overcoming some of the things that you've overcome. On my walk, I have overcome with prayer and so many, so many things. I never ever thought that I could almost not have a woman in my, to be with a long period of time. I've overcome that. It was my way of getting love. The drinking, I never thought, I thought having a good time, going out, having never ever thought that I would overcome that. Never ever thought I would, the life that I live now, Years ago, before I was a Christian, I would have almost have said, that guy's a boring monk. Wow, what's wrong with him? But I never, ever thought there was another kind of fun or joy. So these are things that you're working out, that you are overcoming. And I remember a friend, first time when I first got saved, when I was, uh, when uh, uh, she was, we were talking about fun and everything. And she said, uh, what did I say? I said, oh, all of the stuff you got to give up and all of that, there's no fun. And I never, ever forget it. She said, Robert, it's a different kind of fun. These are the things that you work out in terms of your own salvation, working these things out. That's the journey. So once you've done the transaction, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How long does that take? Instantly, instantaneous, really. The thief on the cross, instantaneous, right? And then, and then you are saved to work, but you are not saved by works. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And in fact, scripture says, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. You don't need to do anything. And is the thing, if I think I can lose my salvation, what am I going to be preoccupied with? Bringing other people into the kingdom? No, making sure that I am in. It's a lie of 
the enemy, the way he has twisted the scriptures. None of your kids that you have can stop being your kids. If your kids, of course, I know that they're not, were ever to become serial killers, this would still be your kids. You can't get rid of that. You cannot. Same thing with your parents. You cannot get, so you imagine God, the creator, the eternal one, to think that he did temporary thing, it makes no sense. And it also makes no sense that God has bent over backwards, bent over backwards, so nobody need go to hell by sending Christ. Then all of a sudden, you know, you do a sin, ah, fooled you, ah, you're going. Can you imagine? It makes no sense. Really, it makes no sense. I, I was saved by Christ, but you know what? I keep myself saved by not doing this. How would I know what was that thing that would take me over the edge? Now, it makes no sense, folks. And I'm going to save you. Hebrews until until next time because I want more questions on this. These are, are good questions. Here's the thing. Here's what it's easy to do. When if I believe something, right? If I believe something that is ludicrous, right? Like, okay, give you something a moron being a very stable genius, right? If I believe that, and I really believe that, right? It's very difficult for me to get that belief undone if I, if I have believed it for any length of time. It's very, very difficult for me to believe. If I believe that an election has been stolen, you know what? That it's very, very difficult for me to get that undone. If I believe, right, if I believe that, okay, Nikki, for example, we know that there's a lot of people in Scotland that still believe in the Loch Ness Monster. And that's because they've been believing that for decades. Nobody's ever found it, right? But if I believe that, and I've been believing it for a long time, probably no amount of evidence is gonna convince me. Otherwise, no amount of evidence. And so once you believe something, it's very, very, very difficult to undo that thing. Very, very difficult. But all I'm gonna say is I want you to meditate on the grace of God. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Where Jesus as given his life and he has said it is finished and the thing about when jesus said it is finished that's a perfect tense that is something that's durative meaning something that happened two thousand years ago but still has effect now it would mean that christ's finishing work on the cross was not finished and you think about god's gracious mercy you think about god's gracious mercy does God want people separated from him? No. Scripture says that the angels in heaven rejoice over a single sinner that is saved. 
the God that you know, folks, want you to spend eternity with him. I just want you to meditate on the grace of God, really. And that God came to overcome our sins and to think a sin or two could trip us up. No. And what does scripture all say that we, none of us should sin, but if any of us do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So we have a defense attorney with the Father. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. Do you, since you gave your life to Christ, do you know, sense, believe something inside of you has changed? You live differently. You think differently. You're saved and you're not going to lose that. You are not going to lose that. You are not just going to wake up and not have it. Because here's the thing. You don't even think about sin the same way. If I could fall into sin, which we all can, all of us can, and Paul fell into sin, we know that in Romans chapter 7. If I could fall into sin, does that mean that if I fell into sin and I hadn't repented when Christ comes back, he's not going to take me with him? That is nonsense. Here's the reason why Christ is going to take you. I'm going to go to Romans chapter 8. This is the reason. It's got nothing to do with what you do. It's all to do with who you are. Romans 8. Um, So Romans 8, I'm going to read verse 9. However, you are not in the, in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. It's the spirit of Christ that caused you to be saved, not what you do. Yes, of course, of course, that spirit of Christ in you causes you to work out your own salvation. Do I think if I didn't have the spirit of Christ that I would be living like this today? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's that spirit of Christ that wanted me to cleanse myself, to purge myself. The spirit of Christ dwelling in you in itself is cathartic. Wants you to be cleansed, wants you to cleanse yourself. You are a partaker of the divine nature. So is the thing. There are a lot of people who may be under the illusion that they were Christians and lost something that they never had. But once you had it, don't lose it. And that thing that Jesus said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Yeah, I knew you. You were good last week but you're not now so but no i never knew you you were never saved 
Really, and there's a lot, as I said, there's a lot of people. This is why I'm warning people and I'm gonna keep doing it. And I don't care who gets offended or whoever supports. And I'll say, I wish I could get attacked by some of these politicians. So I would tell them because they're shipwrecking people's lives. They're almost getting people to think that Jesus is all about who gets elected. It's a lie. And I'll continue to talk about that because these are people who are not saved, but they're misguided and gullible. And I'm not afraid to do it. So, hey, if you have a favorite politician, which is a joke, you shouldn't. You should have a favorite savior and only one savior and that's it. And all of the rest of it, trying to save what's here. See, this is what I'm saying. There's now this Christian nationalism, combine the flag and all of this kind of stuff, all of the earthly stuff with the evidence. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. So yeah, if you have genuinely been saved, you are saved. Yes. Um, this, I, this really, thank you so much for sharing this because I have an issue. I had an issue, uh, in the house and I thought that the city local government could take care of it. And really all I have to do is spend time with God, mm. spend it in his word, praying, meditation, and trusting God to resolve this whole thing. And I've been going to all these different places. People say, well, did you go to the city? Did you go to the county? Did you go, you know, all these places when all I needed to go to was God first. And that's what I got out of this message to be liberated and free from everyone else and put all of my trust and dependence on God. Mm, mm. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And that, that's the thing, as I said, um, there are people in the church that do put their trust in working a ministry in attendance and yeah, knowing the pastor, all of these, it's got to, ultimately be in Jesus. Look at the, the Pharisees, look how they were. They actually thought that they were saying, oh, Abraham is our father. They thought that that was gonna save them, really. And yet God was right there in front of them and they're saying, well, are we right in thinking you are a Samaritan and have a demon? See, that's what I mean, it can blind you, turn into anything else but God. Yes, Nene. Pastor Roberts, if you striving to try to be righteous and you are concerned about your family's salvation, can you try to, can you save their salvation if you strive to be righteous? No, and is the thing is, righteousness comes from god so god gives you that but no you cannot you can pray to god that god would um intervene maybe send somebody into their life but you striving to be righteous is not going to your family are not going to be able to 
piggyback on you striving to be righteous. It's an individual thing, right? So you can certainly inter intercede and pray for them and God to send somebody into their life. But no, your righteousness, uh, you striving to be righteous will not uh, get them saved. No. Okay. See, by prayer for them. Yes. So, um, I, I want to um, just ask, and I was going to go into uh, Hebrews um, chapter 6, but I, I like this discussion more, this interaction, because it is a Bible study, and I, you know, I'm doing the teachy, preachy thing so much, I really want to do some of this um, more interaction. So, um, any more um, uh, questions? And also, is the other thing when you're in, when you are in a relationship with God, you also know from an existential standpoint, there's no way would God do that. It means you would have to pull the rug from underneath you. There's no way. That we can say, I we can say certain things about our friends where we can stand up. No, we would never do that. It, how much more a good God? So being in this relationship with God, I just know the character of God. God is good all the time. I've, I've tasted the goodness of God. Robert, who one time wanted to off himself, God took all of that away, really, all of that away, and gave me peace and joy. Took all of that. That's why I, say I consider it trash, all of the things I used to be into, giving those things up. It, it is trash. I know God does not want to see anyone separated from him and he's bent over backwards for that to happen um anybody else you are saved folks you are one day going to see the face of god no ifs no buts no chatter about it hey you may not ever see the Rolling Stones perform at Wembley Stadium, but I guarantee you, you are going to see the face of God. You know, I guarantee you, you're not going to see the Loch Ness Monster. I guarantee you that. But you are going to see the face of God. You can rest in that. Yes, Sandy. Yeah. Hi, Pastor Robert. So a lot of people will say, and I know... I want to hear what you have to say. You know, they say, oh, so all you got to do is say the sinner's prayer. Mm. But that's not accordingly to what you're saying about the three, the, the three, um, you know, the, the justification, the sanctification and the glorification. And, and I, it, could you just go over those three again? Because I know some people came in a little bit late and I know you're saying that the justification is transitional. You're saved the, the, minute, the minute you receive Christ into your heart. Transaction, right. So it's transactional. Right. Right. It's, it's transactional. But, but actually, it is transition. It trans, transitions you in from, be, from being unsaved to being saved. But it is a transaction. It happens, boom, immediately, like the thief on the cross. I mean, it's not like the thief on the cross. Well, 
Jesus, okay, let me get off the cross, do a little bit of good works, get back on and die. No, Jesus said to him immediately, this guy even said, we deserve what we're getting. So he's admitting, hey, we've done bad, uh, bad things. But what did Jesus say? Surely today you'll be with me in paradise. So your, your salvation consists of three parts. Justification, saved from the punishment of sin. Sanctification, saved from the power of sin. And glorification, saved from the presence of sin. And yes, it is. Once you say that sinner's prayer, yes, you are saved. But then the work starts for you to get sanctified. You have been saved from the punishment of sin. Now it's it's you and God working together. That's why he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, because that's the part of it. You cannot work out the Savior part. You need the Savior for that. You need a sinless, a sinless Savior. So you can't do that for yourself. And the part, the sanctification part, it's you and God. So it's called, it's called synergism right? It's you and God working together, right? Because what happens, the power of the Holy Spirit causes the desires that you had to diminish. I told you about that champagne on Christmas Eve. I just thought about it today. It's in my house. I have no desire to have a drink, no, doesn't matter, Christmas Eve, Friday night, Saturday night, no desire. What is that? That's the sanctification. That is the sanctification. No desire, so many desires have actually gone. That's that sanctification part. So you do say the sinner's prayer. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then you are working out your own salvation. That's the sanctification part. And then the glorification part, that is all God. You can't do that for yourself, giving you a new glorified body. So it's the part here that you can do with God. You trust in, in God, dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit, working on the inside of you to totally change your desires. That's the part. That it's you and God. And the more he changes your desire. Before I was saved, I was thinking about desire to, to Bible study. What are you talking about? I know interest in reading that, the Bible. No, it's but those desires are changed. Does that make sense? Sandy? Yes, uh, yeah, I had it on mute. Yes, it <laughs> yes, it does, Pastor. Thank you. Because I just want, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, just because you say the sinner's prayer doesn't mean you're saved. Well, in order to even say the sinner's prayer, th there's something, God, I think God drew you. Now you've got to do the, the rest, like you just hey, said. You just said it, exactly. John 6, verse 63, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws them right right so so he had to draw me that like when i went to the altar even though that was it i went to the altar i stood up you know and then from there 
then the sanctification started. Absolutely. The process, the process. Absolutely. So what God has to do is unlock that bondage that Satan has got you in. That's the drawing. You cannot, you cannot just come and figure out God like you can with like a book. You can't do that. He has to unlock that bondage, essentially that lie. Because Satan has got people veiled. You can't just discover God. He has to do it. That's what I'm saying. There's so much of God in this process. He has to unlock these people. Oh, I found God. I found God. No. He finds you and he unlocks that. And you now are able to respond to the truth. You, otherwise, if he does that, it's, you, you cannot. Yeah, right. no one can come to me unless the Father draws them. I also want to give a scripture for that. What I just, um, what I just said about um, unlocking the truth. So, Second Corinthians four, uh, and I'm going to read um, chapter four, verse three. And even if our gospel is veiled. It is veiled to those who are perishing. In, and why does it say perishing? Clearly, everybody is perishable because everybody does have a shelf life. You're going to die when they, so you are perishing. So I was like, I get yoga from the grocery store. As soon as I put it in the refrigerator, it's perishing because it's going to die. as a certain shelf life. Like everybody's age, we have a shelf life. So somebody who is not saved and is living is actually perishing day by day, right? So it is veiled. It is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan doesn't mind you seeing dollars. He doesn't mind you seeing silly politicians. He doesn't mind you doing all of that foolish because that is not going to bring you eternal salvation in fact he wants you caught up in all of this worldly stuff right. he wants people called up in caught up in politics because that's not going to save anybody as long as you're comfortable in that you know what you're doing you're comfortably perishing right yeah right. comfortably perishing so pastor i just want to say mike has his hand up and i just want to say this pastor so after mike and you get that done it's after six do you want um stephanie to close in prayer yeah if, if nobody has any any uh um more questions questions yeah because this okay. is all about making sure that people are able to rest in what god has done so mike mike yes yes sir yes thank you so much for that it's clarification rather than identification it's amazing how our lives fall into place when we believe wholeheartedly that god has always been with us no matter what we were doing in life how we sinned how we went through it jesus was always there for us no matter what mm -hmm. And then when we finally turn from sin and get into the word, you start to understand what God was saying all along. Trust in me. I'm the one 
after you. Mm. And when we wholeheartedly believe that he's helping us and we have that line of communication open every day, our lives improve. Mm. You know, I, I stole that line from you. You know, when you think better, you will live better. Yes, mm -hmm. every day we live much better. Thank mm. you so much, Father. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate that. Does anybody else, um, any uh, question? For the next time, I'm even if I stay on this for the entire year, I will, because I think it's very, very important. God wants people to rest in what he has done. Yes. Um, just, just thinking about how, what you just said about comfortably perishing, <laughs> it really hit me um, like a truth bomb. Uh, the big book in AA says we try to go on to the bitter end, trying to blot out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we can, or we accept spiritual help. Um, but I was just curious, kind of on the lines of what um, Sandy was just asking you to clarify, because um, I think like it'd be easy to just say, yeah, 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 I asked God or Jesus to come into my heart. But um, is that what you're describing? Kind of like when we say faith without works is dead. Like, so we have to have the faith first and then do our part of the works. Is there any way that that relates? No, no, no. So faith without work is dead so when james is talking about that that's more of someone even just saying someone's able to help someone say if i'm able to help you uh uh financially you need some financial assistance i'm able to do it and i just say oh no i'll just pray for you no that is the time to put that work into action so it's got faith without works that what james is saying and paul does talk about it in Romans is more of a part of once you are saved. So is what I was saying when uh, Sandy was talking about, well, you don't just say a prayer, do you? Well, yes, you do. But here's the thing about that prayer. When you say that prayer, it's God who has enabled you to say it. That's what I mean. You're not interested in God. All of a sudden, God has open, unlocked that heart that Satan has locked up. And now you see that need for God. There is that. I know was when I gave my life to, to Jesus, was that the first day I'd ever heard of Jesus? No. I knew all about it intellectually. The Bible intellectual, but it was the it was God that opened up that my heart now that took that veil off that Satan had put on. So yeah, you it is just saying a prayer, but what people have got to understand is the work that has gone on in the background. It's God, it's always God. As I've said, people have heard me say. God's always doing the heavy lifting. Really, I'm telling you. People have heard me say, God is the one that does the heavy lifting. You may have to do a little bit of unpacking. But it's always God that does the heavy lifting. So when anybody responds to God, they are only going to respond 
because God has enabled them to respond to God. He, he has enabled them. And God, I know, and I've said this before, God orchestrated the mental hospital because that was the environment I needed to give my life to Christ. Anyone who's coming to Christ, God orchestrated those events. So never, ever, ever see, just, just look at it from the front end. You know what? Well, and you see your favorite actor in a movie. I don't know who it is, Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise. Well, Steven Spielberg's behind that. You know, there's other executive directors behind it. There's cameramen. There's all of this stuff that's going on. So don't just see, you see, just there's script writers, all kinds of stuff going on. Well, it's the same way with God. You just saying a prayer is all your tiny response for the heavy lifting that God has done. And don't forget this this response that you were enabled to do was actually in the mind of God before you were even born. That's what you have to understand. So no, it's not you just saying a prayer. It's all the background work that God has done. Okay, including Jesus, the lamb where it was slain before the foundation of the world. So we have to get it in it correct perspective does that make sense yes that was wonderful thank you thank you yeah so yes anybody else um i just said hey listen before if it was me going out under town friday night oh come on with my uh clients when i was in the investment world now hey I'm not all dressed up and I have nowhere to go, folks. This is my life. So don't worry about running over. The most important thing is clarification. This is what God has called me to do. Is anybody else? And yes. Hi, Robert, Pastor Robert. This is Cynthia. I just wanted to share something. Uh, you know, I've had a problem with sweets, uh, junk foods and everything. And I've been trying in my own might to stop um, eating those type of things. And this morning when I was just at the gym working out, God said, you know, you're freed from um, that addiction of sweets and junk food. And I heard it so clearly. Now I believe it by faith. Mm. And um, during our lunchtime today, they brought in so many cookies and every kind of junk that there was. And I didn't even, it's just like it was nothing. So I do believe because he told me that by faith that I am healed from that. That's the sanctification that you said. He, you know, come along, right? And cleanse you up. We do it together. Right, right. Exactly, exactly. So so, so the way it, it, um, it worked is that in somebody's devotional, life this is why your devotional life do it folks because your devotional life has impact on your so so as cindy was saying boom that just happened today but she had put the work in prior it's almost like going to the the gym nobody gets in shape overnight right 
you, as you start getting, as you start going to the gym, you start seeing the impact, the development, the development actually occurs. So who knows how long, how many prayers, how much scripture reading that actually led to her being liberated from that. But that's how it worked. That's actually how it works. And as I said, I mean, there were me that cut off uh, many of my friends who I used to hang out with. And that's part of that sanctification. You're almost thinking that now, oh, these are friends I have fun with. But when you get sancti sanctified, now these are friends that are hindering my walk with God. So yeah, that's how it works. Anyone else? <laughs> 